Hi, Robert. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Well, um, Meyer lemon tree. Okay. It, it is quite high. It's probably like about 10 feet. And some of the newer stalks that came, went pretty high. Okay. Um, the, all the leaves on there have really gotten brown, and with this wind, they've all blown off. Um should I do any kind of trimming on that, or should I just wait until later? I would wait. Um, I would be prepared to protect it if we get severe cold. I mean, I, looking around the country, a lot of the northern part of the country is below average temperatures. Fortunately, here in San Antonio and Hill Country, South Texas, we have not experienced any really abnormally cold weather. That early freeze really did brown out a lot of things, but... Uh, I don't know what to think. I don't know what January is going to bring, but uh, uh, with your Myers lemon, if at all possible, I would protect it through whatever cold we have. When it starts to bud out, it would be blooms first and then probably new leaves coming out on it. That's going to tell you how far back the stems were actually damaged. They may not be damaged at all, but if they are, they're going to start blooming or branching out at the furthest point of live tissue out there and at that point you'll know what uh what really suffered and you can just clip it off but at this point i'm i'm not doing a whole lot with my citrus except uh planning to uh protect them if we have severe cold and of course meyer lemon is kind of right in the middle meyer lemons are probably cold hardy down to 26 or so which is a lot more cold hardy than a mexican lime but not nearly as cold hardy as say a satsuma would be so uh, long answer to short question, I'm not going to be doing much with that lemon at all, except fertilizing, watering, and uh, just being prepared uh, if we do have uh, severe cold. Yeah. In fact, you answered the question about the satsuma. So that that one, I've never seen to have much problem at all with the satsuma, you know, having any cold damage on it. Did you have, did you lose any leaves with that uh, that first hard freeze that we had back, what was the end of October 1st of November? Did uh, your satsuma freeze any leaves at all? Maybe a few, but hardly noticeable. It's such yeah. a big tree. It's in the ground. Yeah. And well, so it's a, it's a very large tree. So Well, it, they, they haven't suffered any permanent damage. But, you know, so many things have put on soft, tender growth, things that normally don't ever show any damage. I mean, I'm thinking about things like Asian jasmine. Most everybody's Asian jasmine had two inches of ugly dead tissue on the top of it, which just rarely happens. And so... I, uh, I I don't have satsumas in my own garden right now, so uh, I, I really didn't have anybody to ask. But your yours just had very minor cosmetic damage, and oh, uh, yeah. okay, well that's good to know. The biggest damage was from whatever critter sort of took off most of the oranges. You know, just ate them. Yep. Um, and I, what kind of would squirrels do that? Squirrels would do that. Probably even more common are possums. Well, no, we don't have any, I've never seen a possum. Uh, this is a, in in shirts, and yeah. And, yeah, just haven't seen any of those. But I guess between squirrels and I'm not sure if rabbits would try to get up there. Oh no, no, rabbit can't can't climb like that. But squirrels are a possibility. But boy, unless you're out a lot at night, 
you may have possums and not know it. I see possums. Uh, I go into work very early in the mornings, and I mean, heart of Alamo Heights, you'll see possums crossing the street, and uh, not to mention, uh, oh gosh, going down Sunset Road where our nursery is. I saw two raccoons cross the road the other day, and one possum. And um, in my own, you know, where I live is out in the country, but I saw just driving in last night after dark, uh, I saw two foxes and a couple of wild hogs and I think maybe one coyote taken off. So a lot of these nocturnal creatures that we just don't really realize are out there unless you all of a sudden have to be out at night with a flashlight. Then you, you might be amazed at what all is out there. Maybe that's why I don't want to go out there with a flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> well, in shirts, I think you're pretty safe. In, uh, in the country, I usually don't go out with, uh, without a firearm of some sort because you just you never can tell. You don't want to, you don't want to walk up on a, on a 300-pound hog unless you've got yeah. that 357 mag <laughs> fairly okay. close at hand. Well, then I'll, I'll take uh, the weekend off and watch some movies instead of trying to trim a uh, my lemon tree well why don't you do a little uh preparation if you grow a garden this is a great time to be going ahead actually and putting some fertilizer out maybe some compost out and getting ready for uh your next crop your grass let me tell you i mean it's a little bit of work but there's no one thing that's going to give you a more beautiful yard than putting some compost out and if you haven't fertilized in the past uh two two and a half months i can find lots of things to do yeah. for you rather than sit inside on a day this is pretty okay then you get out Thanks and enjoy, Robert. On the tree, though. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Thanks for the call this morning. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Well, had one person just drop off the line, but I've got Joe and Alice waiting. So let's just go back to those phone lines. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. How about yourself? Doing well. I have a question. I have uh, some property that used to be a pasture land. It's about nine or ten acres. Okay. And um, it's been unkept for a little bit. Uh, had a forester go over it uh, probably three years ago, but now the growth has come back with the cactus and the um, um, the mesquite. Uh, what would you recommend for long-term care for it? I, I have a little extra money that I can spend on it, but uh, I just wanted something that will take care of it and uh, kind of be, be done with it uh, what? as far as the, the cactus and the Mesquite. What are you What are you planning to use this for? Are you gonna run uh, some goats or a few cows or a few cattle? A few okay. Cattle. You know, it really it it just depends. And when we talk about eliminating the mesquite, when we talk about eliminating the cacti and things like that, uh, to some degree, that's just aesthetics. The cows don't really mind. The cows love mesquite beans, and it's uh, okay. you know if you get a if you get a lot of brushy second growth mesquite, then yeah, that's that's an issue, and you almost have to root plow uh, unless you want to do something that's not organic. But uh, don't whatever you do, don't go out and buy the chemicals. But just that diesel and molasses mixture will kill the uh, the mesquite pretty well. Cacti, the way you get rid of the cactus is you uh, break it loose from the ground. Cactus does not re-sprout from the roots. A lot of people think, oh, it just comes back from the roots. No. If you if you shear it off at ground level with a bucket on your tractor, your skid steer, whatever you have, that cactus is not coming out. And what you do with the with that top that you've now sheared off from the ground, you push it into a pile, you douse it with molasses, and it just turns to pulp. It just the molasses creates so much biological activity it will rot it very very quickly to where it doesn't re sprout. And uh, 
I, you know, mesquites, if you, if you have some big old mesquites, mesquites actually produce something from their roots that keeps the seed from germinating and growing. And that's why you see a, you know, a pasture may have some big old mesquites in it and no brushy mesquite at all. Those big mesquites are actually keeping the little ones from coming up to begin with. And my gosh, look at what the King Ranch has done for, you know, almost 200 years, well, 150 years uh, easily with uh, running uh, a lot of very top quality cattle in the country that's just basically nothing but mesquite. So uh, it's, you know, what you're doing when you try to get it cleaned off and make it look like a golf course, and I'm exaggerating there, but where you're trying to have nothing but grass out there, you're working against nature, and you're doing it to please you. You're not doing it to please the cows because the cows could care less, uh, you know, what's growing out there. So uh, I guess what I'm telling you is if you want to do that, nothing wrong with it, and there are ways to do it. But um, if your basic purpose is to keep your land in uh, ag exempt and to uh, run some cattle, don't spend a fortune uh, and don't, you know, take too much of your own time trying to get rid of stuff that really, as far as the cows is concerned, is not a problem. Yeah, so, some areas are so dense you really can't even walk through it. Yep. Cattle can't even get through it. So that's that's my big concern. For, unfortunately, I don't have any large mesquite. Okay. Well, what you can do, and again, this is not organic, but it's a whole lot better than uh, Remedy and some of these super toxic things, but cut that mesquite down to ground level, make a mixture 50-50 of cheap agricultural molasses along with uh, diesel, and pour it over the stump, and it's dead. The uh, the okay. diesel kills, the molasses cleans up the diesel residue, and uh, like I say, it's not organic, but uh, it's a whole lot better than what uh, what a lot of people would be selling you to do. And that's that's the way to do it, unless you can root plow it. And again, if you don't have big acreage, you probably don't have the big tractor it takes to pull that you know that that um, type of plow you need to. And that's the only way to get rid of mesquite, uh, short of of killing it uh, with something like your diesel molasses mix. Okay, and somebody suggested uh, when they when they in the springtime when it starts to to bloom, just spray it with uh, uh, herbicide. I didn't want to do the herbicide. Can I use the molasses and the uh, diesel at that time, or would that not be effective? You know, Bruce Dooley told me at one time that he had um, eliminated mesquite by spraying the tender foliage. He said he actually killed it with the diesel molasses mix. Unfortunately, well, or fortunately, being in the nursery business, which I love, I don't have time to do a whole lot with my land in the spring. It's summer, fall, and winter that I actually get to get out and work with it. So at the time that the mesquite is just coming out, I'm usually over my head in plants and responsibilities. So I, I haven't tried it, but Bruce used to tell me he had good results. So be okay. cheap and easy to give it a try, and it certainly go a lot further than, uh, than soaking the stumps. And the other option I, that was mentioned uh, by someone else was uh, controlled burn. What do you what do you make of? Not that? going to kill your mesquite. I mean, it'll. I love control burns. Control burn. Control burning is one of the greatest conservation tools we have. But it's uh, it's not a do-it-yourself project, and because uh, it involves growing enough uh, fuels that your that your flame will burn things, you know, hot that it will continue. And but control burns are are a an extremely uh, effective thing, but unfortunately, your mosquito come back from the roots. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for the information. I appreciate it. Well, it's always a pleasure, Joe. You get out and enjoy this beautiful weekend. That's the plan. Thank, thank you. you, sir. Goodbye. Okay. All right. It's Alice next, and then it'll be Jim. Good morning, Alice. 
Good morning. Uh, I have some amaryllis and crinum that are kind of, they were separate, but they've kind of grown over with each other. <laughs> okay. And they're, and they're getting pretty crowded. I'm not getting the blooms that I used to. Okay. And I was wondering when and how should I separate those? And Well, if you want to do it right now, they haven't uh, started putting on any new foliage, have they? The foliage that's on there is still probably got a little bit of freeze damage, and it's still the foliage that was out there earlier. Yeah, it's pretty much brown and, and collapsed down on them. Well, right now would be a good time to get out and uh, divide and replant. Um, you may, you might want to cover them if we have a really, really hard freeze, uh, uh, the amaryllis especially. Now, are these like your Dutch amaryllis, the really big bulbs, or are these the old uh, American amaryllis, the Johnson Eye, the red, the red and white ones? What what type of amaryllis do you have? The red large ones okay um i think you're fine if you want to divide and replant right now right, and um do they want morning sun afternoon shade or full day sun the more sun they get the more flowers you will have okay if anything i would protect them if you can i would put them in areas protected from the north wind but uh maximum sun yields maximum flowers okay and uh, i also have some amaryllis and uh, some of them I brought from the Midwest uh-huh. that were in my mother's farm, and um, they they don't seem to really thrive here. Could you give me some advice on where to place them and what I could do for them? Those you might want to, um, and and were these were these ones that were actually growing outside, or were these some she had in pots? Oh, they were outside. Okay, I'm I'm surprised. I didn't know that there were any that were that cold hardy. Um, I would pretty much uh, give them everything except this hot afternoon sun. I'd if I you had a place that you could plant where they got sun up till twelve or one, then afternoon shade. I think they'll do very well in that situation. I planted them near a tree that gave them some uh, shade, but now the tree's grown enough that they're not getting <laughs> too much shade. Sun, I don't think now <laughs> yeah. anymore. Yeah, no. How I should I amend the soil because I live on the far west Calabria, almost into Manita Valley area. I would, you've got, you know, fairly deep soil. It's just poor soil. I would uh, uh, work in what you can in compost, and I would just use some good organic fertilizer. As, you know, we go through a growing season, uh, spray it down with uh, liquid molasses periodically or, or use dry molasses. Dry molasses is a lot easier. It's just a little bit more expensive. But molasses is a very strong stimulant of the microbes, which are the things that actually improve the structure of the soil as well as the organic content of the soil. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. Good luck. And uh, by doing it now, I think you're going to get some uh, pretty good pretty good flowers uh probably be mid-spring it may actually be into summer on your crinums but uh uh, doing this dividing and separating at this time of the year should not reduce your spring flowering i think it'd be the best time to do it all right thank you very much my pleasure alice thank you (laughs) goodbye All right, back to gardening, and let's get back to the phone lines. Jim's actually the only person I have holding. I know y'all were out late celebrating last night, but lucky you, you don't even have to get out of bed. You can just roll over and dial 210-599-5555. Don and I will be very jealous of you, of course, but I look forward to talking to you. Right now, good morning, Jim. Um, hi, I live in Fisher, Texas, the north side of Canyon Lake. Yes, sir. And there's a lot of uh, oak decline disease in, on the live oaks. And some on my property aren't too far gone. Is there anything I can do with the, my live oaks to kind of uh, 
help the oaks along. Uh, oh, absolutely. And and just so you'll speak correctly, it's oak wilt. It's not oak decline. Oak decline is something that's brought on by environmental conditions. Oak wilt is a fungus disease that gets into the plant and um it you know it kills red oaks in a week or two live oaks it's a more long lingering death but the good news is that uh and this is not and i've been saying this for years but uh it's now confirmed by the international association of arboriculture and some of the best arborists out there that whole ground cornmeal will both prevent and cure if it hasn't gone too far in oak trees and of course it's not the cornmeal that's the magic it's this uh beneficial fungus called trichoderma that grows on the cornmeal but it's uh relatively easy uh back in the days when we first started experimenting with it we were telling people to use fairly large amounts of it and use it and out around the drip line of the trees but my arborist friends tell me that what they have learned is if you want to both prevent it and cure it if a tree hasn't gone too far what you want to do is take some five gallon buckets put a couple of cups of oatmeal uh, in each five gallon bucket of water let it stand for maybe 24 hours this is what really gets the trichoderma going and then just pour it and and they're telling me that we don't do it out around the drip line anymore we do it up fairly close to the trunk of the trees within uh, say within 10 feet of the trunk of the trees we're just pouring yeah we're just pouring this liquid on and you know a medium-sized oak tree say somewhere between four maybe 10 inches in diameter one five gallon bucket is probably adequate bigger trees you might want to use two or three buckets but uh it's uh, proving to be more effective as far as actually eliminating the disease. These uh, chemical injections, all they do is suppress symptoms. It doesn't keep the oak wilt from continuing to spread, and it sure. may keep the tree alive a little bit longer, but it's not a permanent fix. The uh, The cornmeal and the trichoderma that grows on the cornmeal seems to be pretty much a permanent fix. It actually... Um, I can't say that it totally eliminates it from the tree, but it allows the tree to do something. Uh, the, the buzzword in arboriculture nowadays is compartmentalization. It allows them to sort of wall off the uh, the areas that are affected by the oak wilt and let the trees recover and go on growing for another, you know, 100, 200, 300 years, whatever the potential is. Yeah. So is, is it uh, a whole ground cornmeal or any... Uh... Well... It's it's anything except the so-called enriched cornmeal that you buy at the grocery store for a lot of money because okay. what happens in the in the so-called enriched cornmeals they actually polish off the outer portion of the corn and that's where a lot of these things that support the trichoderma fun, fungi are i mean you can use corn chops you can use uh you could use just you know old deer corn if you wanted to it's just that oh, the yeah um uh, again uh, i wouldn't put the corn out without soaking it because you'll have every raccoon and deer in the area wants yeah, to get in there and eat it down. but yeah. it's just it's just yeah any non non-polished non-treated corn whether it's corn chops which is what a lot of people feed poultry whether it's the actual ground cornmeal literally whatever you find when when it comes to cornmeal for this purpose jim i'd uh, i'd be shopping for price i wouldn't be looking much beyond that because any 
any cornmeal out there is going to grow eutrichoderma as long as they haven't taken away the goodness out of the corn. Uh, thank you. One more quick one. Of course, I'm in all rock. I mean, there's not even any soil. I want to plant a couple of crepe myrtles. And I'm going to do a, a raised bed. Okay. How, how, how deep do I need to do the raised bed for the uh, uh, crepe myrtles? I'm how? sure it's going to end up like growing in a big pot, no matter what I do. But. <laughs> how, how much soil do you have? An inch, two inches, four inches? Maybe, maybe an inch, but it's just rock. Okay. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd try to come up about 12 inches. Okay. And like you say, you're basically creating sort of a big pot. So make it a fairly big tree well. And uh, it's amazing how well it works. I mean, we did that with some, uh, actually some oak trees uh, in an area where the soil was not good. And man, those trees have just turned into beautiful things. Thing to remember about crepe myrtles is that uh, while they are drought tolerant, when we get into a more severe drought, not if, but when, you're going to have to uh, give them a little more supplemental watering than you would uh, a tree that was able to get its roots way, way, way down into the ground. So uh, long as you're willing to keep that in mind, because it's, you know, we're supposed to have a fairly wet winter and spring, but who knows, by summer we could be back into drought. You will have to give your crepe myrtle some supplemental watering, but uh, that's not the end of the world. Okay, one, one more real quick one. I'm sure. Somebody where I moved, somebody stacked uh, hay and, and clay around the trunks of some oaks, I mean, up two feet. And I started clearing it away, and it's obvious that that stuff's been around the trunks eight, ten years. And the trunks are just, they look almost rotten. Is it too late to pull away all that dirt, or no. should I? No, it's the best thing you can do. I promise you, if you leave it, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, but, I, I know. Um, I, I can see it's been there for years already. So. And and this is, you know, you're bringing up some real interesting things. We used to think that if, you know, if a tree was girdled, that that was, you know, the end of it, that it couldn't recover. But uh, the truth is that the, we're, we're learning that that uh, tissue underneath the bark actually has more regenerative power than we ever really realized it did. And in a time of year when it's not real hot and dry, even if that bark is largely rotted, that tree has the potential to grow a whole new vascular system, a whole new batch of uh, phloem tissue out there in that area. So, yeah, it's going to be some work, but, man, the sooner you get it pulled away from the trunks, and uh, most of your trees should certainly recover and get beyond that. That's great to know that they can uh, regenerate like that. Yeah, it's... yeah. Let me tell you one more thing. It's it's dealing with a tissue that we uh, call parenchyma tissue. But if you, let's say you find that that bark is, is really in bad shape or you're out there working the grub and hoe is what I'm probably going to be using for pulling soil away, and you yeah. accidentally nick or wound the tree, what the good arborists do and, and – my couple of my friends in the business, uh, they come upon wrecks and things like that where somebody's run off the road in their car and torn up the bark on a tree or something like that. They actually take roofing felt, the old cheap black tar paper, as we used to call it, yeah. and they will wrap it around the wounded portion of the tree just so that it doesn't dry out completely. And that's sometimes all they have to do to allow that tree to survive and uh, and, and develop that, that new cambium layer, as it were. That's a great tip. I appreciate that. Yeah, I I don't know why somebody did that. You know, they piled 
two feet of hay around the trunk. Probably probably somebody told them to, or maybe they went to Houston and saw those crazy people doing that kind of thing and thought, well, it must be the thing to do. But it's definitely not the thing to do, and I'm very, very pleased that you're smart enough to realize that, number one, and number two, to do something about it. So get out there, and um, do you feel like the trees have some oak wilt in them at this point, or are they just stressed? Uh, well, what's, what's happening, you know, the growth on the top is dying and then they're getting these, uh, all these sucker shoots at, towards the bottom of the uh-huh. trunk and, uh, just they're ending up, the branches are dying and then they get little tufts of leaves, not real branches, just yeah. kind of little, little tufts and eventually that branch dies and. Well, that that could be drought damage, especially if you're just in super shallow soils. Here's the thing I want you to look for is when those trees, if those trees start shedding green leaves and you look at the leaf, and I think everybody knows what chlorosis is, where the veins stay green and the rest of the leaf gets light-colored. This is like reverse uh, reverse chlorosis. When you look at that leaf, the leaf will be dark green, but the veins in it start turning a yellow and then a reddish color and then eventually brown. It's called venal necrosis. And that is okay. the typical symptom that you will see on a tree that has oak wilt. I'm not sure if you have oak wilt or not. I, the cornmeal's cheap and easy. I mean, you go to a feed store, you get yeah. a 50-pound bag without spending very much money at all. So I, I think the corn water tea would be a good idea. But unless you're seeing those symptomatic green leaves underneath the trees, um, I'm not sure that you're not looking at a much easier to problem to control. Well, easier, but uh, then, you know, a lot of things on oak wilt. But uh, uh, we have seen a lot of drought damage on trees, and trees that are sitting on a very shallow layer of soil are obviously the ones who are going to show the damage before any other. Yeah, so, I didn't think of that because we had so much rain lately, but before that, we were in a drought. I had yep. forgotten that completely. So And, and that, again, up know. in Fisher, there's I don't know of a lot of oak wilt up in your area, so hopefully okay. you're just dealing with drought damage, and hopefully Mother Nature's going to be a little kinder to us. Okay, I appreciate all the help. Always a pleasure, Thank Jim. You, you have a great Thanks. weekend. Bye-bye. We'll talk again. All right, let's get back to gardening here, and uh, let's talk to John. Good morning, John. Morning, Bob. How are you, sir? Hey, I got a couple. Of, I'm doing fine. I got a couple of questions for you. Okay. Uh, we planted uh, four years ago a couple of uh, polymorphous oaks, the Mexican white oaks, in our yeah. front yard. And after about a year, the deer got to one of them, a pretty pretty substantial buck rub. We recaged the tree, and and it just never done very well the other tree is double the size is that pretty much a lost cause to pull it up forget about it how big is the tree how big in diameter is the trunk uh now the 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 one that's growing well is about four and a half to five and the other one's done it at about two and a half to three okay the studded one on the edges of the rub do you see a sort of a roll of fairly smooth new bark forming there no, it's crushed itself over. Okay. They, they, they buck rubbed it pretty, pretty deep. You know, okay. Probably get 30, 40% of the tree depth, something like that. When it, when it, it's been two, over two years ago now. Okay. Well, if the tree's still alive, it's going to make an effort to heal itself and grow. 
Uh, is John patient enough to let it do that? And they, you know, that's the question. I, I would be thinking about planting a new tree if you have room. I don't know that I would necessarily pull that one out because that tree's probably never going to catch up, but it's going to get to the point that it is going to put on new, healthy, good growth. If it were totally girdled, it would have died, you know, within 12 months right. of the time they do this. So one thing going forward, like I was just uh, interesting you bring this up after just talking about it with the previous caller, but keep a little bit of, uh, keep a few roofing tacks and a little bit of uh, tar paper on hand. And if you can get to it within a few hours from the time the rub happens or in cooler weather, you've got probably a couple of days. If you can get to it before that rubbed area totally dries out, and if you can wrap it up with something like the tar paper, uh, chances are it will form uh, a whole new vascular tissue right in that spot, and uh, you won't you won't lose the growth, you won't lose the tree the way that you might not otherwise. This is this is relatively new technology in the arbicare industry so to speak but this whole idea of maintaining the moisture there now better still uh you know go to dirtdoctor.com and get the you know that tree goop recipe on there's den rock phosphate and things and if you can slather that on and then wrap it up that tree will hardly miss a beat but if is this is one of these things happens and you know it happens on my ranch it happens places because uh, much as I might like to, I sure don't, I'm not able to walk all my ranch every day and I'll find trees where you've had the buck rub and the trees are in bad shape or in some cases killed. But the things right around your yard, uh, keep an eye on them. And if you can catch it within a, you know, few hours or a few days of the time the damage occurs, then this is something that you'll be able to keep from having that problem again. All right. I got one more question for you. I lived over in Buda for about 30 years, and I had a, 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 I thought it was a mushroom root rot. It's an orange-looking, looks like mushrooms growing out of the base of an elm tree. Over right. a couple of years, it killed it. Yeah. Now I'm seeing that same stuff come up in a part of my backyard. What can I do to get rid of that stuff? Are you, it comes up after a hard rain. Okay, is it coming up in the grassy area, or is it uh, appearing on the trees? No, it's, it looks like it's coming up in the grassy area. I don't haven't really noticed it on the base of a tree like I had it in Buda. Okay, totally different fungus. Um, there are thousands of kinds of fungi. The one that you saw on your tree is, uh, well, they, they call it a shelf fungus or tree ears, and it starts when you have damage to the base of a tree, whether it's physical damage, whether it's a rub, whether you know it's a car injury or whatever, and that is a totally different fungus. The stuff that you see coming up in your yard, that's just an indication you have a lot of organic material in your soil, which is a good thing and uh, absolutely nothing to worry about. Um, and it, you know, they'll go away when it dries out and, um, they're just, it, it's what we call a saprophyte. It lives on decaying material and is just living on the decaying organic material in your soil. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a totally different thing. Uh, where you have something like that forming on the base of a tree, that is an issue. And you might want to get an arborist to take a look at that and see if the tree can be saved. But in both cases, it's just what you're seeing is the fruiting body. It's where the fungus is going to make it spores to reproduce and uh growing in the grass that's just a sign of lots of rain and nothing to worry about all right thanks a lot 
Always a pleasure. Thanks for the call and a very good question. All right, we're just a few seconds away from uh, news time here on KTSA Radio. We'll be visiting with uh, the Dirt Doctor when we come back from this break. I really appreciate you joining me this morning. It's just always fun talking gardening, and I know you probably have holidays on your mind rather than gardening, but, you know, you can kind of blend the two together. This is KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas.